in your Bible today, if you would please turn to the book of John, chapter number 13. I'm so glad today that regardless of your circumstance, your situation, your heartaches, your difficulties, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to carry them alone. You probably made them all by yourself. But what makes Christianity so special is you don't have to bear them by yourself. What a great, great message. And uh, such a good job, both of the specials today in the choir. Our song leading was needed some help, but what um, a great, great team to serve the Lord with. In John, in the book of John, we've gone from discovering our Lord in verse in chapter number one. Where he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were created by him. And not anything was created, but what he created it. And then in verse 14, the Bible says that this Word that was God was made manifest and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And from chapters number 1 to chapter number 12, we beheld his glory. If you please, we've seen him turn the water into wine in chapter number 2. Chapter number 3, we hear him introducing to Nicodemus, a religious Pharisee, if you please, and said to make Nicodemus, marvel not, I say unto thee, you must be born again. If you're not born again, Nicodemus, regardless of your religious ties, your religious uh, fanaticism, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. Proving that, he went on away to Samaria and he met a young lady at the well. Remember her? She was quite acquainted with the men of the city. She must have been a beautiful thing. She had had five husbands. And the one she was living with at that particular time was not her own. I know a lot of ladies hadn't been able to catch the first one. And she had already caught five of them. And he miraculously saved her and she went to the city and told them of her changed life. And the men wondering what had happened to her came to the well. You can follow our Lord through the scriptures. You'll find him in chapter number 5 at the well of Bethsaida. There ministering and healing a lame man had lain at that pool for years. Chapter 6 and 7 and 8 alike 
we find him declaring to us that he is the light of the world. At the Feast of Pentecost, where the whole city was illuminated with lights about, great large lights illuminated the temple area. And when the priest uh, lit the light, uh, they held it up high, and as they lifted that light up, Jesus proclaimed himself for all. I am the light of the world. He that believeth not in me walks in darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, the problem with our world today is not economics. The problem with our world today is not politics. And the solution of our world today is not Donald Trump. The solution to our world today is the light the light of Almighty God to be lifted up and all men walk in that light. Chapters 11, the ultimate, the raising of the dead. And that's something. He actually rose, raised Lazarus from the dead. What power. What potential. And he told you and I that the power that he raised Jesus with, I raised Lazarus with, is available to us. That glorious power that worketh in us is the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead. Yet, We are so powerless, we depend more upon pills than we do the gospel. We're so dependent and so insufficient, we turn to our neighbors instead of turning to the Lord. We ask for those advice who is befuddled and confused as we are. And in our desperation and in our fear and in our humanness, we forget all about the power of God and the sufficiency of our Lord. And we turn to a neighbor who's had more divorces than we have and ask for their advice. God help us. If brains was dynamite, we wouldn't have enough to blow our nose. Amen. He who never wants us to be alone, we find pride and get pity by acting in our loneliness. I didn't study all week for that introduction like I did last week. John chapter 13. He showed us his miracles. He showed us the light. He has shown us the way. He has shown us the door. He has said he is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. What? more does he need to show us? Verse 1. 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should be depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. Would it be something if some of our marriages would do the same thing? Well, I don't love them like I used to. Problem is, you probably never did love them. You just fell in lust of them. Well, he trips my trigger. Did you lose your trigger? She lights my shuck. What's wrong? Did your shuck dry up? They rang my bell. Oh, I know your clangers broke. Aren't you glad there's somebody that when he says, I love you, it's not conditional on geographically where your stomach is located. He loved them till the end. And supper being ended, notice he did not say dinner. The devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After 12 chapters, what could be important enough for him to continue his lessons to we who believe. After the raising of Lazarus and the healing of the blind, the healing of the lame, the turning the water to wine, multiplying two fish and five loaves and feeding 5,000, what in the world could be added to all of that to our knowledge of this thing called Christianity. He rises to supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Simon saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered and Answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. 
Simon Peter saith unto me, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean ever wit, and you're clean, but not all. For he knew. Do you know that three times it said that in this story? Verse 1, Jesus knew. Verse 3, Jesus knowing. Verse 11, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you're not all clean. Let me ask something. Would you wash your enemy's feet if you knew what your enemy is about to do to you? Think about that a minute. Maybe we ought to think about that before we say what we say and do what we do. I imagine Jesus had the right to have a Baptist pity party. Like many of us have on a daily. Let's go go on. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Do you have any idea what I just did? That's my paraphrase of that phrase. Know ye not what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What I need is another translation so I can understand this. I don't understand. I did this for an example. To you, that you should do to one another as I have done unto you. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Not happy are you if you read them. Not happy are you if you think about them. Not happy are you if you pray about them. Happy are you if you do 
them. I never seen a service so solemn and I haven't preached yet. You look as though you are either mad at me or you're planning on getting mad at me. (laughs) I'd like to speak to you today on the symbol of service. It humors me to go down the road and see the symbols of Christianity on the bumpers, the windshields, and even sometimes on the paint of vehicles on automobiles. The little fish sign indicating that you are a fisher of men, indicating that you are a Christian. I have intentionally cut them off in a lane to watch their Christianity roll out the window. (laughs) I've watched the athletes as they hang the cross about their neck. That is a symbol of Christianity. The cross of Jesus Christ. Many symbols we have that are indicative of our Christian faith. I think we need another symbol of our Christian faith. And I don't think it ought to be a cross. I do not think it ought to be a fish. I think... The importance our Lord put upon service in this particular text, it ought to be a towel. Notice, if you would please, these verses, and I read them for you. The Bible says in Jesus, in verse 4, he took a towel. Indicative of servanthood, implying being a slave. In the Orient in this day, they did not have cowboy boots that they wore. They did not have florsham or other alligator type high dollar shoes. They wore open sandals. You can imagine walking in the sands and the dirt all day long, the nastiness of the feet. At the door of every house, there was a basin of water and a towel and the servants of the house were given the duty that all that walked in the sandals would be slid aside and the servant, the slave of the house would gird himself with a towel and there wash the feet of those he served. I wonder maybe if Paul had that in mind when he said, beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. 
The ugliest, the dirtiest part of the human anatomy visible to human eye was the feet. And Paul said, regardless of how dirty the feet is, if they're preaching the gospel, their feet are beautiful because they carry the message of hope. I believe today we have here an absolute picture. A text is the portrait in words that Christ wants us to be after we're saved. Notice, if you would please, just back chapter 12, and I read for you verse 23. You have your Bible there. And I think what we have today is the symbol and the teaching of the importance of Christian service. Let me ask you, and I don't mean to be hurtful, or demeaning, where are you serving your Lord in your church? Amen. With that in mind, let me read this for you. Chapter 12 and verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Do you understand that? Service. After all our Lord has done in 12 chapters, he sinks, if you please, he sinks in our eyes to demonstrate to us Not the importance of raising the dead. Not the importance of walking on the sea. Not the importance of being a big show. He demonstrates for us humble servanthood. Something some of our teenagers could get a hold of. Like saying, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, no, ma'am. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Please. Could I open the door for you? Can I do something for you instead of what can you do for me? And your attitude shows all over your little sarcastic faces right now. You know nothing of this. The reason you know nothing of it because your parents have not taught you anything of it. During the Revolutionary War, a man... In civilian clothes, rode a horse beside a company of soldiers that was trying to build a defense barrier. The leader stood there shouting instructions, do this, do that, do this, do that, but making no attempt to help at all. The man on the horse, dressed in civilian clothes, asked the man, why aren't you helping them? And the man shouted to the man on the horse, well, sir, I'm a corporal. 
seeing the job is not being done, the man on the horse, dressed in civilian clothes, got off the horse, laid a hand to the task and helped the soldiers finish the job. When he finished the job, he turned to the corporal and said, Corporal, the next time you need help in getting a job done, call your commander in chief and I will come and help you. He was George Washington. Well, I'm too good for that. I'm too educated for that. I'm too busy for that. Maybe our Lord is trying to show us some real important truths. What Christian service might do for each one of us and not what we might do for somebody else. For instance, number one, did you know that serving will keep your mind off yourself? Me, my. Our world revolves around el numero number one. It's me. It's mine. I did it. I passed the test. I got the degree. I am it. Number one. Is there anybody here today? Well, let me ask you what you would do if you knew that in 12 days you would die the most painful, excruciating death known to mankind. What would you do today if you knew that in 12 days you're going to be nailed to a Roman cross and hang there six long hours in the hot sun, if you please, and have humanity walk by and gape at you, laugh at you, mock at you, beat you, and ridicule you, what would you do this afternoon if you knew that in 12 hours that's going to happen to you? Think about that just a minute. In 12 hours, they're going to hang our Lord on the cross. In 12 hours, they're going to beat him, crown him with a crown of thorns. They'll so disfigure him, according to the book of Psalms, that he's unrecognizable as a human being. In 12 hours, they're going to beat him, scourge him, ridicule him, mock him. In 12 hours, that he knows is going to transpire. What would you do? If you had 12 hours to live and knew that the death you're fixing to die is far beyond the description of humanity. What would you begin to emphasize as priorities in your life? Would you spend some time praying? Maybe you might take time to read this. You might even call the reverend something besides what you've been calling him. Do you think maybe your priorities might have a 360 degree turn? 
Maybe instead of looking at the ticker tape about the market, you might be looking for the light that lighteth the hearts of men. I don't know about you. I just wonder, would you try to mend a few relationships? I don't know. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Carl Miniger or not. But he uh, was the one who began the Miniger Clinic, a psychologist, Christian counselor. And someone asked him a question. If someone felt a nervous breakdown coming on, what would you suggest that they do? Have you ever felt like you have a nervous breakdown coming on? What would you do, he was asked, if you felt like a nervous breakdown was coming on? Caused by family problems, financial collapse, disappointments on every hand. What would you do if you felt like you had a nervous breakdown coming on? Dr. Miniger said, I would urge you to find somebody who has a worse plight in life than you and give yourself to helping that person solve his problems. Because in doing that, you take the eye off of yourself and quit living inwardly and start living outwardly to help somebody else. The Bible says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, can I paraphrase this for you? That in 12 hours, he's going to suffer the most painful kind of death known to man. And when he knew that, he did something to take his mind off of himself. That's what serving will do. It will take your mind off of yourself. I thought I'd at least get one amen out of that. But you see, you don't want to do that. Because the longer you waller in your pity party, the more pity you get. Amen. Have you ever noticed when somebody's always thinking about themselves, they're always trying to share themselves with everybody else. Instead of trying to help everybody else, they're trying to get everybody else into their situation with them. One thing it would do if you start serving God is to take your mind off yourself. Secondly, serving the Lord It gets gooder and gooder as we go along. And it's only 11.10. You say, how do you know that? I got a clock here big enough to a blind man could see it. Secondly, serving the Lord will keep you humble. Wow. 
Look at verse 3. Look at this. Let this sink down a little bit, would you? Jesus knowing. Jesus knowing. Now look at that. Jesus knowing. Look at that. Jesus knowing. Now let me put the rest in there. Wolfenbarger paraphrase. Jesus knowing who he was. He came from God and he's about to go back to God. In 12 days, he's going to go back to God. There is no ruler greater. There is no historian. There is no educator. There is no scientist. There is nobody that knows more, can do more, and will be as long as he, he knowing that. Yet, verse 4, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself, and became a slave, a servant. I read one time, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took up on himself the form of a servant and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Serving will keep us humble. Do you have your Bible? Let me show you what's going on in the context at the same time our Lord does this. In the book of Luke, chapter 22, at the very same time as the supper is going on, lest you and I gather the conversation of the disciples sitting around or laying around the table. The atmosphere we find in verse number 23. Jesus has said to that crowd, one of you are going to deny me. Verse 21 or 23, and they begin to inquire among themselves, which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the what? The greatest. Peter says, I'm great. Andrew says, well, I'm the guy that won you to the Lord and brought you to Christ. I'm great. And Bartholomew said, well, my name's harder to spell and pronounce, so I have got to be greater than you. And all around the table, the disciples begin to argue And bicker about who is the greatest of all of them. And our Lord said, watch this. And while they were arguing and bickering about 
Who got to sing a special and who didn't get to sing a special? And I won't sing in a choir because they can't hear my melonious voice among all them other voices. And uh, I need to play this and I need to play that. And and uh, after all, the Bible said, make a joyful noise. Some of the things I hear coming out of your voice is not joyful. And we argue and bicker about who's the big cheese. And while they were arguing, this had to be a Baptist meeting. While they were arguing, the Bible says, and after supper, there needed to be a big lesson taught. And Jesus laid aside his garments. Don't you know they must say, I wonder what he's going to do. What's he doing now? And he walked over to the basin that sat there by the door. And he girded himself with a towel. And I bet they still wonder what he's going to do. And he began to wash those proud, arrogant, self-seeking Baptists. A lesson on Christian service. Amen. Wow. Do you think we could stand some of that around here? My Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. You know why you have arguments and divorces and hell raising and hurt? Pride. A young woman asked for an appointment to see her pastor about a besetting sin she had. And so they met. And the young lady said, Preacher, I've become aware of a sin in my life that I cannot control. Every time I'm at church, I begin to look around at the other women and I realize that I'm the prettiest lady in all of our church. None of the others of that can compare to my beauty. And the pastor says, Mary, that's not a sin, honey. That's a mistake. Pride. Pride. I can do this. I can do that. John Brody, the great quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, a multi-million dollar player. He held the ball for the punter to kick the extra point. A reporter came to him and said, Mr. Brody, why in the world would a multi-million dollar player like yourself stoop so low as to hold the ball for the punter? And Mr. Brody said, well, if I don't, the ball will fall. (laughs) What are you letting fall? Because you're too big and we're too good to do what needs to be done. Brother Jim has got to be the hearty hamburger king of the world. 
Now, he likes Hardy's hamburgers. I don't know anybody else does. Somebody said because they're so juicy, they have ground up worms in them. I have no idea. (laughs) Jim said he's a Burger King man. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's hamburger chain, was known for his humble service within the multi-million dollar industry that he built himself. When asked what made him so successful, he replied, my MBA. And folks equated that to his educational degree. And he said, no, I'm a high school dropout. And because of his high school dropout status, he could have become the most pretentious, proud, arrogant individual because of his accomplishment. But yet he ascribed his success to his MBA. It was his mop bucket attitude. He was a servant of servants. When he saw a job that needed to be done diligently, he carried on his MBA attitude, his mop bucket attitude. What is your attitude around here? Well, let somebody else do it. I don't teach children. I teach adults. With my background, I have too much to offer. Are you offering it? What Jesus is trying to teach us around the house at church or at work, wherever he might be, an MBA attitude would work because if we don't, the ball will fall. It keeps us humble. But I don't want to do that. I know that. Just stay happy like you are. Just remain so fulfilled. And when you pillow your head at night, Look God in the face and say, boy, I know you're pleased with me today. Number two, you say, how long are you going to stay? Till I get through. You say, when are you going to get through? A little while ago. Serving can be misunderstood. Hey, have you ever been misunderstood? I know why you're doing that. No, you don't know why I'm doing that. Because you are not me. I know. Look, if you would please, verse 6 through 10. Uh, The Bible says, He cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do... Thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. I'll not read the rest of it for time. Serving can be misunderstood. Peter developed hoof and mouth disease. 
His mouth was an overdrive while his mind was still in neutral. You ever done that? Have you ever said, wish I hadn't said that? Have you ever said, if I'd have known that, I'd have never said that? Well, I know why Wolfenbarger's preaching. It's by the cause of the money. But I have not always been so wealthy. Dollar, Mr. Trump is calling me and asking me to make him loans to buy another high rise in New York. I told him, well, uh, actually, Cuban is wanting some help with the Mavericks. And I told him that's where I needed to put my money at this present time. I don't know. You don't know one thing about why I or anybody else is doing anything. You are not God. You are not omniscient. You are not omnipresent. You are not omnipotent. You are absolutely arm. When it comes to me, you know nothing. When it comes to you, I know nothing. Only one knows, and his name is Jesus. Can you say amen? And so, in my service to the Lord, many times I am misunderstood. And I don't know why, since they misunderstood Jesus. And Jesus told Peter, Peter, you need to keep your mouth shut. Because right now, you don't know what I'm doing. Serving not only can be misunderstood, it is never easy. Verse 11 through 12. And I imagine as Jesus knelt there, if I'd have been Jesus while I washed Judas's feet, I'd have got him by the big toe. Would you? Now look over what? I'd have got him by the big toe, and I begin to twist that sucker, and I say, I know what you're going to do, you sorry sucker. You're the only man that ever died because somebody choked you to death. By your big toe, I would say. <laughs> now, what would have been your reaction to the man that is going to walk out and say that he loves you and acts like he loves you and follows you and, and acts like he's your friend and he's about to walk out and deny him for 30 pieces of silver? I declare to you today that serving God is not always easy, but is always the best. I got lots of time. Is this fifthly? Okay. Look it up fifthly. That's the V. Serving is our duty. Can I read it for you, please? I read it for you out of verse number 13 and 15. Look at this. Verse number 13. The Bible says, You call me Master and Lord, you do well, for so am so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye 
also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do. You got that? That ye should do as I have done unto you. Duty. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present what? Your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Why? Because it is your reasonable service. Romans 12 and 11 says that we're to not be slothful, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You know what fervent means? It means red hot. Enthusiastically. We're to serve the Lord, not because of necessity. We're not to serve the Lord slothfully. We are to serve Him with fervency, bless your heart, on fire, serving God. <coughs> I'm going to give myself preaching. <laughs> A father tells the, <coughs> the story of a typical teenage boy. How that he tells his son to clean up his room. The son says yes, and it never gets done. The boy joins the Marines. (laughs) Come home from boot camp. And the father says, son, what have you learned in the Marines? He said, Dad, I've learned what now means. (laughs) I've learned what now means. Now is the accepted time. Now is the time to be saved. Now is the time to serve the Lord. Right now. It's your duty. It's not your choice. As I have done to you, so do ye. It's your duty. Besides, it makes us like Christ. That's what Christianity is supposed to be, isn't it? Like Christ. Is that right? If I come to your home and I take out the Soul Winner's New Testament that I carry for 40 years or so. And I ask you, I say, hey, if you died right now, do you know 100% sure you'd go to, oh yes, 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 yes. I'm saved. Oh yes. I've trusted in the blood. Yes. He's my Savior. Yes. He sacrificed for me. Yes. He died for me. Yes. He rose again for me. Yes. He's coming back for me. Are you serving? Well, you, you don't understand. I've got this job. And I've got to take care of my family. And that takes money. You, you don't understand. You're right. I don't understand that. But Jesus said, you don't understand right now. But you will one day. When your family's gone. When your wife can't stand your guts. When you lose that job you're bound down to. Allah. 
and the time clock that you have punched so long, somebody else is punching it in your place. And the employer that you're so loyal to, just before you retire, decides that somebody else can do your job cheaper. Hmm? I just wish that I could say it more plain because I hate beating around the bush, keeping people make, getting mad at me. Any of you ever been to the Alamo? I'm finished. They say that the Alamo, on the walls of the main entrance, I have no idea, there's a portrait with the following inscription. It says, James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembles his uncle. It is placed here by the family that the people may know the appearance of the man who died for their freedom. No literal portrait of our Lord exists. But the likeness of his son who makes us free should be able to be seen in the lives of those who profess his wonderful name. And serving makes us like Christ. And all of God's people said. And last but not least in conclusion, it makes us happy. I've never seen so many unhappy Christians in my life. You know why? Because they're nothing but sponges. They come, they listen, they enjoy, they leave. They come, they listen, and they leave. I close with verse 17. And you can't believe this book and not do this. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. John Wesley wrote a poem, the founder of the great Methodist movement. He wrote a poem on how to be happy. Do all the good you can by all the means you can. In all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can.